Mr. Duarte, listen, your policy of getting rid of drugs out of your country is a strong move you're doing. Uh, doing it with violence and killing people is definitely reminiscent of the opium wars that China had faced. And they had to actually take it to that extreme. Uh, I'm an advocate. I don't think drugs should be so heavy in our communities either because of what it caused people to do. But don't you ever get the gall in your mouth and heart to call the president of the United States the son of a whore. And I, I don't, first of all, you don't never do that, kid. Come to my neighborhood. Come to, come to Staten Island with Seriously. that. Seriously. You know what I mean? And I don't care if it's, if it's Miss Clinton becomes the president, Mr. Trump, and I don't care if it's Mr. Bush, I don't care if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's Mr. Kennedy, I don't care whatever you win. You don't call the president of the United States the son of a whore. I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome to the Talkhouse Music Podcasts. Here at the Talkhouse, we pair intelligent, notable musicians for unmoderated conversations and release a new talk each week. Regular listeners will have caught episodes like DJ Shadow chatting with Clams Casino or our recent Pitchfork Music Festival doubleheader where Brian Wilson spoke to Carly Rae Jepsen and Thundercat caught up with Kamasi Washington. Check out these and all of our past episodes and subscribe to get new ones on Stitcher or iTunes. Who would have seen this coming? Paul Banks of Interpol and RZA of the Wu-Tang Clan forming a band together? Banks and Steels, their new collaborative project, isn't just some throwaway one-off. It's the real deal. They just dropped their debut album, Anything But Words, featuring some very cool guests, including Florence Welsh of Florence and the Machine, Cool Keith, and Wu-Tang Clan members Ghostface Killer, Masticilla, and Method Man. And they're on tour now in the US and Europe. Producer and rapper Robert Diggs, better known as RZA, the leader of the Wu-Tang Clan, is a hip-hop icon. In addition to his work producing almost all of Wu-Tang's tracks, as well as many of the members' solo releases, he's also dropped a number of solo albums under various monikers and collaborated with artists as diverse as Kanye West, James Blake, and John Frusciante. An obsession with old martial arts movies is a defining element of his artistic aesthetic and his love of film has blossomed into a parallel career as an accomplished actor, director, and score composer. He made the music for Kill Bill and Ghost Dog, and wrote and directed 2012's The Man with the Iron Fists. Paul Banks made his name as the frontman of Interpol, one of the indie guitar bands that ruled New York and the aughts. Like RZA, Banks has released music under a number of different names, including Julian Plenty and Just Playin' Banks. Perhaps unpredictably, based on the sound of his main band, he's super into hip-hop. Like, obsessed. In 2013, he released a mixtape of hip-hop tracks he'd produced, featuring guests like LP and Talib Kweli. I invited him to DJ on Pitchfork Radio recently in New York, and he spun a rad set of deep cuts. Hip-hop was all he wanted to talk about. The seed of Banks and Steels was planted back in 2011, when Banks laid some vocals on tracks Rizzo was producing. Things were casual at first, with the guys spending more time playing chess than recording. But by 2013, they were actively working on a record, fitting in recording around Interpol's 2014 El Pintor album and Riz's myriad projects. 
In what may be the Talkhouse's most freewheeling conversation to date, the guys sat down backstage at Lincoln Hall in Chicago to discuss Riz's enthusiasm for a recent Donald Trump speech, music production hardware versus software, the president of the Philippines' draconian drug policy and insulting President Obama, racist characters in Suicide Squad, why Bill Clinton was checking out a Chance the Rapper set, Jessica Alba, new action movies, confusing Bill Hader and Johnny Depp, and, oh yeah, their collaboration is Banks and Steels. Check it out. I love mastering beat machines, softwares. Anytime they make something, I buy it just to master it. So for me, it's like, okay, oh, oh, trying to. Okay. That's yeah. part of your enjoyment. It's part of my of enjoyment. It. Okay. That's a I, good attitude. Yo, I would tell you that the first, the first beat machine that, uh, that the first sampler that I really got a hold of, of professional quality, was called the SP1200. Okay. Right. It's made by a company called Emu, who's out of business now. And I got it without the instruction manual. Now, meanwhile, it has a screen the size of, a, uh, basically the size of a- Fortune cookie? Text? Yeah, the, like yeah, the, the size of a, of a calculator. Right. That's the screen. And would you believe that in one, I stayed up like maybe 36 hours in total. Until I mastered it, or until I knew how to make a beat, make everything it took to make it, and that particular sampler is the sampler that I use on "Brain to Pain," which is a Method Man classic song, and a few other Wu songs. It was like, but I had the that mastering that sampler mm. gave me the inspiration to always buy another machine and don't read the manual. See, when you gave me the, when we got the mm -hmm. montage, I was like, you know, I didn't want to get the manual. Just let me bring it home for a day. Let me talk to her. Sitting in my house. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's partly to do because I think you retain information, that kind of information, better from doing and discovering rather exactly. than just like reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, because I did that with, with iMovie when I first mm -hmm. was making like little videos and stuff. I did, I had a 14 hour day one day. I didn't get out of my, I got out of bed in my underwear, coffee, started a video, didn't stop until like right. 11 p.m. that night, didn't even get dressed. Right. And like that, but that, that was, was that was but that was out of joy, right? That was out of like, so I conquered the program because of, it was that was fun for me. With something like some of these audio stuff, I feel like because I'm trying to record and do other things, I don't want the stumbling block of the functionality of it. You know, I just want to know like, cool, I did this. Now I'm moving on to the next thing. Oh, I got to tweak that. I got to, and when every little step is now like a different. I don't know. I got to find the drop window that shows me where the fucking logo is for what I'm trying to do all right. over again. That isn't joyful for me. That's like a major interruption to my flow. But I've been one of the biggest problems with software versus hardware nowadays because hardware actually does has, have a definitive hit that button, hit play record, sample, you know, like mm. the NPC, it mm. has a definitive thing on it. And what happened to a lot of producers, they didn't cross over to the... Um, to the digital DAWs, they, they didn't cross over to those because of the functionality. But I think that they're getting better because they're realizing that, and this is true, if you if you got to go through all those functions, you forget your idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the main thing is, what's the fastest way you yeah. can capture an idea? And Pro Tools has delivered on that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so anyway, we're here. My name is DeRizza. My name is Paul Banks. We are Banks and Stills. We're chilling right here. Uh, you guys kind of came in the middle of our conversation, <laughs> but us geeking out. So what are we talking about? Uh, 
I mean, after after we were just finished talking about. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's uh, we in Chicago for those who want to know where we at at the moment. You know what I mean? I've been up watching the news all morning. Why? What's up? Well, Trump was on. You know what I mean? He did his best. He did his best speech today. Yeah. Yeah. He did it. He did it. He did it. Like he may have got a few more fans today. Hmm. Yeah. Talking about education. Talking about every kid getting a chance to, uh, you know, to go to the school of choice and being funded to go to that school. And he said something like, and the money follows the kid, you know? The money follows the kid. So, like, so there's money that's invested into the kid. And as the kid continues, there's money that's continuing to be open to him. Right. You know, his delivery, his delivery today is good delivery. Okay. Actually, I usually... Kind of like laugh at him all the time because he, you know, he just be rambling. Now, <laughs> well, yeah, that's the th- like he was sort of known to be for the people that were getting behind him. They kind of liked the f- the freedom of his candid speaking. And then I sort of noticed when he started getting like on script and on message when like the party was sort of like, yo, you can't be saying yeah. all this crazy no shit. Like, stick to the message. I think people found him a little more dull and less convincing because it was less the real guy. Right. But now it sounds like maybe you're saying he found his footing with that. Yeah, I think he found because he because he now he's repeating, but he's repeating in chunks. Mm. So so it's more like he's repeating the sixteen bar phrase rather than just keep going. Uh, drink, 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 drink. Come on, drink. He's like he ain't doing that now. Now right. he's saying the verse. Then he's bringing the hook in. Then right. he's repeating the verse. So I was actually uh, it was good to hear him say that. Look, he got a strong chance, right, to win. And I know a lot of us is you know you know especially. Like in the black community, we 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 you know a lot of people feel that he doesn't represent you know our cause or our struggle, and and probably we probably felt that about most politicians. But we always have more hope with the Democrats because you know I guess some of the programs seem to trickle down to us. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and 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 it got such a phobia against this the um, just a phobia against the white supremacist idea in today's age to be perpetrated upon us. And whether he's one of those people or not, he resembles it. Mm-hmm. And then when he talks with that ego, it, you know, which to me, I'm from New York, so I know how he's talking. To me, I don't hear the ego. I'm like, that's New York, man. Uh-huh. You could go to any pizzeria and talk to a guy like that and you're going to get the same thing. The guy's going to serve you a slice of pizza as if you're not paying for it. And if you don't want it, he's going to move it, move it, put it back in the oven and move to the next customer. Right. You know what I mean? He has that personality. And that's, I'm from New York, so I respect it. But around the rest of the country, I think it doesn't, it's a, it's a tough thing, right? But like I said, today was the first time me, even as a, as a, as, as a guy who's concerned about our country, when he went to the education thing today, I was like, well, at least somebody is, 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 is you know, at least he's getting a focus. So then later on, though, you know, like 20 minutes later on the news, they said, well, that was Trump's great speech. And they go, yeah, he, he really followed the teleprompter well. <laughs> right. But you know what? That's okay. what I'm saying. Were you watching Fox, though? Or what yeah, was I was watching Fox. Okay, so they're, they're saying it was a great speech. All right. Yeah, no. No, I'm not, that, that doesn't impact your opinion. I was just yeah. curious. Like, yeah, I, watch, I like to watch Fox because they, they keep it gully. Right, wow. <laughs> You know what I mean? But anyway, um, what do you think about What do you think about it? I mean, I feel like he said things in his campaign that were dangerous and very fucked up right. uh, about immigration, about Muslims. Yeah. Very fucked up things. But I 
also didn't really think at any point that were he to come into power that he would actually act on those things. I thought that they were kind of hyperbole and just trying to rally a certain section of the voting public right. around kind of a little bit exaggerated, but kind of motivates very right-wing people. And so like, yeah, you're, you're talking that's to me. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't really think a guy with his education and intelligence is going to try and implement any of the ridiculous things that he's talked about doing. Whether or not you can forgive him for ever having said it is, is another question. I know right. a lot of, most of my family and stuff, they're kind of like, you hear my brother, he's like, outraged at the possibility that this guy is even got the nom. You know what I mean? Personally, I kind of feel like, I don't know, some of this is politics and maybe it's dopey what he said. But it does make me, there's two things I want to bring up with you on politics. Firstly, why did Bill Clinton go see Chance the Rapper when we were there? Yeah. And secondly, (laughs) remember I brought up the Filipino president the other day? Yeah. Having people just murder people in the streets? Yeah. That shit's popping off at the moment too. But let's first, first Bill. Okay, Why well, do you think Bill wants to see Chance the Rapper? You know we, what? We were, what, where were we when that We was happened? in uh, Made in America, Philadelphia Festival, and we're chilling, Chance the Rapper's on stage, he's doing his thing, we, we all enjoying it, and here comes Bill Clinton. <laughs> 15 feet from us. Yeah, right there, and he's there ch- checking out Chance the Rapper. He walks down the, the, artist, the artist lane, yeah. which we, went, we didn't, we didn't want to walk down that lane yeah. because we kind of like... You know, we're a little cool. We're like, we're not, you know, we're here to see the dude, but we're not going to go and, and you know, you know, we're not going to bad. No, we were off to the side. We yeah. had a nice position. Yeah, we chilling right But we here. saw him walk because he was going to, I guess he was between the barricade and the stage, yeah. right? He was like right there in front of Chance. And Chance is dope. So yeah. don't get me wrong. It well, was Chance a great show. But what is Bill Clinton doing there? What is Bill Clinton? I don't know. I guess he, he wanted to. Is that his favorite musician? It might be his favorite artist, right? Okay. Gotta, and Mr. Clinton, uh, first of all, we appreciate you coming out to the hip-hop concerts, you know what I mean? At least you can, you know? You know what? Bill is a trumpet player, ain't he? That's right. No, sax. Sax. Maybe he was there to see- um, Donnie Trump. Donnie, Donnie Trump. Yeah, our, our boy. Yeah. Um, okay, second question. Yeah, dude. So the Filipino dude who basically told him when he came into power, he's like, anybody that you know who's on drugs or dealing drugs, go kill him. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Have you heard about this? And so they've been doing it. Well, no, because it really got in the news because he was supposed to meet with Obama. And he said, uh, he said, if that, if you, if you ask me, the first quote I heard, he said, is if you ask me about my policy of killing drugs, I'm a curse at you. And then the next wow. thing he says is, uh, he says something else. And then I think it culminated with, he called Barack Obama a son of a whore. And Whoa. so at that point, before that, I think it was sort of they were debating is Barack Obama going to have this meeting or not? Like, we'll get back to you. Like, currently, on, no meeting, not to TBD, you know? Yeah. And then after the son of a whore just canceled, like, nah, now we ain't meeting. Hold on, meeting. Oh, yeah. no, hold on, and hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 what's, what's his name? What's that guy's name? Eduard, Eduard Duarte? Mr. Duarte, listen, your policy of Getting rid of drugs out of your country is a strong move you're doing. Uh, doing it with violence and killing people is definitely reminiscent of the opium wars that China had faced. And they had to actually take it to that extreme. Uh, I'm an advocate. I don't think drugs should be so heavy in our communities either because of what it caused people to do. But don't you ever get the gall in your mouth and heart to call the president of the United States the son of a whore. And I, I don't, first of all, you don't never do that, kid. Come to my neighborhood. Come to, come to Staten Island with Seriously. that. Seriously. You know what I mean? And I don't care if it's, if it's Miss Clinton becomes the president, Mr. Trump. And I don't care if it's Mr. Bush. I don't care if it's 
if it's if it's if it's Mr. Kennedy, I don't care whatever you win, you don't call the president of the United States the son of a whore. You know what I mean? Because really, if you think about it, kid, you come over here and you want to see a lot of the whores. Think about who you're gonna see. I just so apparently that's kind of hard body, but their stock but, market crashed as a result. Yeah, you know. I mean, look, drugs can destroy a country. That's the fact. It's destroyed many countries. Destroy. It's destroying my neighborhoods, and so I, I, we do need to find a way to get out of that. You know what I mean? And how to fix that? And and I don't think that our president should have the right to tell that president what he has to do to fix his country. Like he can't tell us what to do to fix our country, but it has to be mutual respect. I think where the thing is that it was crossed, that crosses over into like really fucked up human rights violations. And I feel like normally we wouldn't try and intercede with a country. Like, I don't think we have much of an economic invest. I don't, I don't actually know what I'm talking about, but I don't, I don't, I think a lot of shit could go on in the Philippines without us commenting on it. Right. But that is sort of the, I like the now is, you got no dude, the, the problems. Yeah. I mean, we love Philippines. That's, but the problem, just one thing that it brought up for me is that it's interesting because I, I maybe a very hard line on drugs is is an interesting argument. I personally kind of think, you know, we shouldn't sweat drugs much at all. But the problem with what this guy's doing, even if you were one of these, you know, someone who had a hard line idea about, you know, drug policing, you there's no due process. It's just like dead bodies. So how do you find out after the fact like that this guy really was selling heroin to fucking children, for instance, because he's dead. And so it just really highlights the point of having a fucking justice system and due process because like, who the fuck are you to decide that this person is in fact committing the crime? He's given the citizens authority to just murder drug dealers. So you could just go murder somebody that fucking you owe money to and say, nah, I totally saw that guy like selling crack. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's no due process. So it's yeah. just, that's, that's out of it's control. Tough, but it's, you know, it depends on the situation of, now I'm only saying this as a, look, I got a dictator part of me. I got a Democrat part of me. That's just me. That's just how I grew up. That's what I've become. Yeah. My dictator part is like, yo, when you're trying to fix something that's broke, you got to sometimes, it's like, you got to amputate. Uh-huh. Sometimes you got to amputate. And his, his, his measure to me is amputating. He's like, yo. But we had that with the Rockefeller laws, and it was super fucked up. Rockefeller, that had people going to prison for like 25 years for like minor weed or like three hits of acid, and you're in jail for like 30 years. That's not years. amputation. It's... Dumber and worse. Even. It's worse than that. So I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. I only, only, I only say that because if drugs is destroying your country and destroying the growth of your people and the growth of your economics and the growth of your culture, well, is your shitty economics and lack of education what's destroying your country, or is it the drugs? Well, I guess he's, I guess he's starting with the drugs because, <laughs> right? Because any, any time I, like, I, I, I cut school when I was in, in high school to get high, and I had a whole. Class, you know, like a whole, everybody who cut, they all hung together. We was all drinking and getting, and getting high. So sometimes once you get introduced to something like that, it can really totally change your dynamic on life and stop the, pro- and stop the progress of your community, your family, and all these things. So, I mean, it's, it's a delicate thing. And I don't, look, I don't believe death, you know, should be, I think everything should live. So I'm a pro-life guy, right? Uh, he's taking a hard stand on it. But what he does by doing that is that he's planting such a fear in those who are committing the crime that maybe they will stop the crime and maybe that crime or that way of life won't carry on to the next generation. Absolutely. But maybe 10, 15 innocent people got murdered along the way. Yeah. Anyway. Sad.
Anyway. I um I don't know if we should go into Suicide Squad, but I did go see Mechanic yesterday. Resurrection. Oh, you saw the Mechanic? Out of, instead of the Infiltrator? Infiltrator, that wasn't planned. Did you enjoy the Mechanic? Eh. I, I couldn't see how you could go see that. Really? <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't even go see it? Nah, I couldn't go see No, I come. First of all, I know the original you Mechanic. You didn't want to see the pool thing? No, the original Mechanic, Charles Bronson, okay? Classic film. You know, you can watch it anytime. It, it, it's just something about it. That, you know, the, the, the cinematography, the film, the whole setting. The mechanic that Jason made over the first one, okay, cool, cool, did a good job. But the second one is more like, to me, just from the trailer and the synopsis, like, oh, you're going to do this again. Yeah. And was it uh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But it was also, <laughs> Alba shows up? That's the only reason I almost bought a ticket. <sighs> I'm not going to lie. Whoa. Jessica Alba being in that movie almost got my $12. She almost got my $12. She still may get it. Dude. I, I, okay. Dude. So she's worth the $12. She is looking, is looking well. Okay. I love Jessica Alba. I think she's one of the prettiest ladies in Hollywood. <sighs> you know what I mean? I mean, respect to her family. and I know she has a family, but I'm a big fan of her physical appearance. But yeah, the film made me think a lot about the economics of, of Hollywood because it did. It felt like, wow, they must have figured out a way to make this mad cheap. And then they just paid fucking Tommy Lee a chunk, Alba a chunk, <laughs> Statham a chunk, and then somehow figured out how to like make everything else for like two million. You know, I mean, right. it really well, the quality was it doesn't down feel there. low production. I mean, there's some really shitty CGI. No, it's, it's terrible. And I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Statham and stuff. Yeah, I'm a no, fan it's, of it's him. A I'm a fan movie. of Jessica. I'm a fan of Tommy Lee. Yeah. But I knew that that reboot was not going to be. But I'll see shitty action movies, and I thought I thought you were on that page, but obviously no. I see shitty action okay. movies too, but I but nowadays I go see them on Netflix. Yeah, I'd rather wait till they. No, hit they the, didn't. They didn't the, have Infiltrator. Wasn't playing at that theater. They only had that and like Don't Breathe or something and okay. Suicide Squad, Sausage Party. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna see them. Party. You see, still haven't seen Sausage Party, right? No, my wife told me to wait for her on that. That's one. That's good. I heard that's great. Good. That's Real Seth good. Rogen. Uh, Dude, it's everybody's in it. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. I mean, um, those are the funniest guys in the game. The uh, the young looking dude from Arrested Development. What's his name? The real baby face guy uh, who's Mike Sierra. Thank you, Mike Sierra. Yeah. Um, those hater guys. hater kills it. There's no. a character that I thought was Johnny Depp for the entire film, like as uh -huh. a Native American. And I was like, oh man, Johnny Depp, like good call, like way to right. way to go to be in this movie. But then at the end, I watched the credit, and I guess it's Bill Hader, but I swear it's Bill Hader doing a Johnny Depp impersonation <laughs> to be a Native American. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny. funny those movie. guys, those guys are batting at least ninety percent when it comes to movies. Every time they put a movie out, you guarantee, especially if you're smoking, you had a little smoke before you went. In. I was advised to have a little smoke yeah, beforehand. A little yeah. smoke, and you go watch their movies. You're gonna. You're gonna be entertained, but on the mechanic, was you smoking on that one or you saw that one clean? Um, fifty-fifty. Okay. I mean, but that, like I said, I, dude, may, I was, may pay the two. Look, I love action films. I may pay the twelve bucks for it. When I, I thought I'd wait to see that, like you know, on HBO or something, when it popped up, or maybe catch it early on Netflix when it comes. But um, I'm looking for now for the action for me. I'm looking for something. You know, since Marvel is doing such a great job yeah. in all the action movies and all the... Like, you got to come hard now, yo. Did you... We should, should we talk about Suicide Squad a little bit? Okay, a little about bit. The, how uncomfortable I was by the alligator character. <laughs> Good. This young man here... First of all, y'all, you're listening to the RZA, uh, a.k.a. Bobby Stills, my buddy over here. Paul Banks. 
We are banks and stills, and we are just sitting here chilling, talking. Uh, we don't know how long we're going to be talking, but we're talking right now, and we're about to talk about something else. I just was uncomfortable about this alligator character in Suicide Squad, who I felt was um, just doing something that we're not, you know, supposed to be doing anymore in, in Hollywood films, which is playing a very bad one-dimensional stereotype. Uh, yeah, he felt like he felt like you felt like he was playing like a. Basically, a dude for Yo, the- man. <laughs> B-E-T. Have you seen this, Suicide Squad? Dude. That's crazy. It goes real, real hairy with this one character. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I lost my sense of humor, but it felt uh, pretty racist. Yeah. I, man, I saw Suicide Squad with my, uh, my, my young son, who's just a big, big fan. You know, 10-year-old. And- so I probably didn't see, like I actually read, I mean, when you talked about the the, uh, the racist stereotype and it's probably right there in my face. But when you're with your son and you're just watching the movie mm, yep. and you're kind of just having the fun of the movie, you kind of overlook all the things about that movie that, I mean, the movie got a very, very low rating, but my kid loved it. You know what I mean? And his favorite character was... Uh, was uh, Jay Hernandez play that fire? No, it's character. funny. And, yeah, and then Diablo. Uh, that's yeah, the name? and I was reading reviews, and they say, "Well, that character's racist too." But I, I like that character a lot. Right. Like I was like, "Oh, this dude's a badass." But so maybe it's speaking more about me than about the fact that that particular alligator character was super racist. Maybe it was all super racist, and for some reason, I focused on that one. Right. Because yeah, the Mexican well, you, guy was dope. Yeah, you think about it though. I mean, like I said, I got. I'm gonna watch it again now with a third eye. I watched it with only two eyes. And I was, I was, it was, I was excited when I saw, uh, you know, when I saw Will Smith, like the scene when it was like, you know, do something and he just got those guns and he's just. That's a great scene. It's a great scene. That's a great scene. And my adrenaline never went down from that point on. Yeah. Well, and, when he shoot, like when you realize there's only one bullet hole on each target at the end yeah. and they're just like glowing because yeah. of all the bullets going through. No, no, not, no, not that scene. That's a good scene. That's a good scene yeah. too. But when he had to, when he had to practically use it against all those aliens, when he, he became the dude that just shot. It saved everybody. Oh, yeah. For he gets on top of the car. That in the was front. like a John Wick scene right that there. That was cool. That was cool. So that scene right there got me. And then watching uh, Margot. Margot Robbie. Oh, man. She she really, to me, you know, she really slayed that film. Like, I was really, I, I was digging her in yeah. that film. Yeah, yeah. She, that character. I, but is I, she, I mean, she's, it's not, it reminds me now that I'm thinking back about uh, Jennifer Jason Lee from Hateful Eight. Oh, was she. Wait. That was a great, I mean, one of the that's best a, performances. That's a, that's Absolutely. Role. It's an incredible, incredible performance. That was incredible. I mean, I'm not going to, and Margie did a great job in Suicide Squad, yeah. but she didn't go there now. No, she didn't go there. She didn't go there. But it is a great, it's a great unhinged female, like masochist. You know, they're yeah. both kind of masochistic. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I'm going to watch it again for the racism. I know the critics gave it a bad review, uh, but uh, I think some of those, some movies are made to entertain the youth. I hear you. I, it's just because they made a stink out of, and I mentioned this in Transformers, the first Transformers, there was a big hubbub about some racist oh, two, robots. Yeah, robots. Hey, and then man. you watch it, yeah, and it's yeah. like, man, okay, that's, but that's the same. It's like, we're not supposed to do certain things. And then lo and behold, here's a movie that's like doing certain things that I thought we had we all past, agreed. Yeah, we, we, thought we, we, aren't, agree. we aren't doing that <laughs> anymore. You know? Thought we got past that. Like I, you can't well, do the racist Chinese person with the hat and the buck teeth. You right. know? Well, I'm you writing can't. a film right now where I'm writing one character is just a racist redneck. Yeah, and you should have license as an artist to be able to do that. You should. Yeah, he's like, he don't like nobody. You know what I mean? 
You know, I just felt because the alligator had no dimension other than to say shit like, I come from the sewer. <laughs> I got a sewer to get back to. You know, like just sort of really, I got to ask you a question. Like he has like five lines and they're all like appalling. Yeah. And so David, you know, you're known as one of the David Ayers we're talking to a good oh, guy. And I, okay, then I should say his last two films, I loved him. Fury no, is one of my. He's one of the I best love writers. Fury, man. He, he, I mean, he got a, a he got an Oscar for his writing, right? Right. Okay. So this guy can write. Yeah, yeah. And can't I, take I enjoy his other dude. pictures. But maybe on that one, he smoked a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he just let it go. But we we love your films, yo. And Fury, definitely. Uh, Fury's amazing. That was amazing. And uh, and Michael Pena. What about this dude, man? Killing it. Is this guy on fire? Or but what? did you ever see? Observe and Report, which was the first film that made me notice Michael Pena. I didn't see that. You got to see that. He is fucking, that was his star turn for me. I mean, I don't think, after that, he blew up. So I think a lot of people noticed, but he killed it in that film, which is an amazing film. Well, you know which film that got me into Michael Pena that I first noticed him? And you you might not see this one, 30 Seconds or Less. No, I didn't see that. He comes in. Oh, don't get me started. Is this the pizza bomb delivery movie? Yeah. Okay, Okay, finish your thought, and I got a thought about that. He came in there as the Mexican dude, uh, you know, the, the the gangster type. He he slayed it. He was funny. He his 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 timing was perfect. You know, his his face, everything. But then when I seen him in, uh, I think destruction L A. No, no L A. When when the aliens came to L A. Battlefield L A. Battlefield L A. And he played the father. Those two dynamics for me, I was like, this dude has magic. Yeah, no, he's great. He's 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 destined for Oscar. Okay, wow. I think he has. He, he I don't know if any Latin brothers ever won an Oscar. Has any Latin brothers ever won an Oscar? Somebody check that for me. Yeah. But if oh yeah no of course one, one did my man from uh No Country for Old Men. Uh oh Javier Bardem. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's great. He's, he's great. Spanish. Yeah, so he got him. European. Yeah, maybe what we, what we has need, a South American or Central American actor won is a question. Yeah, listen, listen. Well, Michael, I'm rooting for you, boy, because I think you you got you you on fire. Even in Ant Man, his comedy, he went back to his comedy. Oh, he's got it, dude. He's got. He's it, really dude. got something. Um, but so thirty seconds or less. The reason I didn't see that movie was because I thought that the premise was super offensive because I was fixated on a case that happened in like 1999 or 2000 where some dude showed up on the side of a highway saying, "Yo, somebody put this fucking bomb on me. Please get it off." Wow. And like. First, no, he robbed a bank. He maybe robbed two banks. And then he like went to the cops on the side of the road. He's like, dude, I'm robbing banks because someone's making me do that. They put this fucking bomb on my chest. Please get it the fuck off that me. Happened for real? And then it blew up. And he died. And it's Holy on camera. Shit. So that's a real thing where somebody put a bomb on somebody and said, go rob banks for me. And then that person died. And the contraption that was put on this dude was like, I don't think they ever figured out exactly who did it, but it's some genius level fucking gadgetry involved where you the guy couldn't take it off himself. So I just felt like when I saw the premise of that movie, I was like, oh, that's a pretty sad news event that actually took place to make a kind of slapstick comedy about. All right, that was funny so shit. So that's why I didn't see it. Danny, it was funny Danny, shit. Danny, right. Danny McBride also, dude. That dude is a fucking fool. Yeah, he's he's the shit. He's on fire. So anyway, my name is Derisa, a.k.a. Bobby Stills. Uh, I'm Paul Banks. We're doing a live podcast just talking about a lot of different things. Uh, we talked about a lot of people and shit and hope nobody get offended by the shit we said about them. But, uh, hey, you know, we're talking. It's early. We just had our coffee and shit. I guess we should now maybe talk about ourselves and shit just to kind of right. equal out the battlefield or some shit. The playing fields, they say. Well, yeah, what do you think about our collaboration versus our collaborations in the past? It's been a lot of fun. I agree. 
there's, I don't know, I, I feel like I've really only collaborated in depth with you know a few people, with my band, mm-hmm. with you, in terms of writing, creating music. Other than that, I've done it primarily by myself. And it's just a very different experience, man. I don't know when I was, a, you know, I was a teenager almost when I first joined Interpol, and that was, wow. you know, my learning experience collaborating with people. But then there's been other people who I've tried to collaborate with and like didn't really kind of gel, didn't vibe. So I feel like, you know, we have that rare thing, which is just two people whose, you know, creativity can be complementary, and we can wind up with something totally different than what either of us could do by ourselves, and it's been enjoyable. Yeah, I, I guess I can echo those words because if you, I, I was checking out some of our music. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of songs on our record that wouldn't fit normally, definitely in my Wu-Tang catalog. And even on my solo projects, you know, when I did Bobby Digital, um, it's songs on our record that don't fit. It only fits in our world of what, of our, of what our collaboration brings together. And I, for me, that's, you know, that's fulfilling and exciting. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's, uh, it's like when you pour, you know, you ever pour different juices together from your refrigerator you may have. I don't know if you do this, but I, no, I do though. I may get like, I try different juices together. You know, I may get orange and get some mangoes and drop uh, some white grape. You know what I mean? And I just, it's a blueberry and I'll shake that up. Oh shit. And I'll make that a drink. And I, I, I do it because my son, he likes, he sees me drinking cocktails. So I make him a fruit cocktail. Yeah, right? cool. But you, you never know what the flavor is going to be, but it's always, but it's come, sometimes always come out good. I feel like we have a, chemistry that's unique that 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 when we put it together it makes something unique you know being who we are is who we are but uh i think we multiply creatively i if i could put it in a simple term i think when me and paul come together there's a creative multiplication that happens and uh you know i, I would love for the fans to absorb it and to join this ride with us right absolutely we've been uh, we've been on the road now for about two weeks uh and playing different venues. How, how, how's that been for you, playing music you know, in this capacity? It's a lot of fun, and yeah. it feels like it's kind of developing as we go. Each The last three shows in a row have just been better and better and better. So, yeah, I'm kind of kind of bummed this is the last show of this leg, actually, because oh, yeah, we're going right. places. So we got a show in Chicago, then we get like a week off. Yeah. Then we got James Corden. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. That's going to be exciting. Well, well... We're, we're out here showing the world our music. We're having fun. Our, our record is called Banks and Stills, Anything But Words. Uh, I know we just gave you guys a lot of words over the last 30, 40 minutes. Um, but not nah, seriously, if you love music, I would say definitely check out our record. Check it out. And uh, get back at us, yo. Banks and Stills in the building. Thank Thanks. you very much. Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to Rizza and Paul Banks on the Talkhouse Music Podcast. Subscribe to Talkhouse Music and Talkhouse Film Podcasts on Stitcher or iTunes. Upcoming artist pairings include Wyclef Jean discussing the Fuji's album The Score 20 Years On with the Arcade Fire's Will Butler, and electronic music pioneer Jean-Michel Jarre with Vince Clark, the songwriter behind huge hits for his ex-groups Depeche Mode and Yazoo, as well as his current band Erasure. This talk was recorded and mixed by Mark Yoshizumi. 
Till next time.